former U.S. Army paratrooper, historian, and conspiracy analyst, Tony Arterburn, joined by top researchers and guests, exploring the depths of our hidden history, expose the crimes and cover-ups that plague our civilization and planet, and patrol the borders of our reality. 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 From the parapolitical to the paranormal in the psychological war for your body, soul, and mind. Be a paratruther. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Paratruther. I'm Tony Arterburn. I am one of your hosts. I do not have the A-team uh, back together. Unfortunately, we do not have researcher without peer Chris Graves. Uh, he's not feeling well, and we're praying that he feels better. We'll have a new episode with him very soon. But I do have Mr. Anderson with me uh, for this interview. And, of course, his passport expired on September 11, 2001, and he's dodging Agent Smith. But we got, we got Mr. Anderson and his brain back. Uh, welcome to your own show, sir. Hi, good to be back. I'm looking forward to the to learning on this one. Well, we've been talking uh, off air, and uh, you always wonder, like, could I could I just release that audio because it's just so much fun? But uh, no, well, we're going to talk about all the things that we talked about probably off air, on air, and uh, this this guest that I have, I've been on with uh, him on America Unplugged and uh, Billy Ray Valentine's show. Uh, we've talked live on his radio show. Uh, William Ramsey, and uh, I want to read a little bit from his biography on his website, uh, WilliamRamseyInvestigates.com, and that's, um, he's an author, an attorney, researcher, he's a graduate of the University of California, Berkeley, with a degree in history, Mr. Ramsey also has a JD and is a member of the State Bar of California, he has written Prophet of Evil, Aleister Crowley, 9-11, and the New World Order, Abomination, Devil Worship, and the Deception in the West, Memphis Three Murders, Children of the Beast, Aleister Crowley, Shadow Over Humanity, and Global Death Cult, The Order of the Nine Angles, Adam Waffen, and The Slaughter of the Innocents. William Ramsey has also made five documentaries. Uh, we got to talk about that. Um, I haven't seen the documentaries. I've I've read the book, uh, Aleister Crowley, Prophet of Evil. That's why you're here, because it's I've read it twice. Uh, there's just so much in it, especially for the uh, the numerology and the symbology of 9-11, which we're definitely going to dive into. And it's just so well-researched and well-written and uh, has the the Crowley stamp over everything and the connection to intelligence. I want to talk to you about that, too. But most importantly, you know, at the end of your biography here, and we were talking offline, William, but it says William Ramsey is a Christian and he considers his books, films and broadcasts together as a Christian ministry with the intent to expose evil. And uh, we're going to talk about evil today. We're going to talk about the elites. We're going to talk about the codes that they use, the symbology, the numerology. Uh, but first, I want to welcome you to the show. First time here on Paratruth. Thank you, William. Thanks for having me. Great to be with you, Tony and Mr. Anderson. <clears throat> well, I, I want to jump in. First, you know, we we've talked before and uh, just every time I talk to you, there's something new that I learn and with your work. And I, I really want to get into uh, your your inspiration for writing and taking on such a task as is Aleister Crowley and, and numerology and all of the symbology that goes with 
this death cult and uh, tying it to 9-11. There really isn't anything that parallels your work that I can find out there, the, the scope of it. Um, so tell me a little bit about, you know, was there, was there a day, was there something you found that you said, okay, I, I, I'll start, I start seeing the links. Uh, how does that work? I think it was just like, I was in DC from 95 to 98. So I was very disillusioned. Like I was a naive person. I saw kind of DC from the inside. So I, I understood kind of in my mid twenties, a lot of propaganda. And then I left DC in 98, then, uh, 9 happened. I pretty much bought the whole story. But it was just at a certain time, like 2003, 2004. I was like, this doesn't make sense. It was based upon other people's research. I think I watched Loose Change. So I was very much in a part of the alternate media world, not being a member of it, but trying to absorb as much information as possible. So once I realized it was fake, I was like, who are these people? What are they doing? I didn't know about the background of some of these people. Now, it was really the internet. I became an internet researcher. So that was really it. And I was trying to pick up as many 9-11 shows as I could. I've just followed all kinds of different people, um, architects for 9-11 truth or things like things that come to mind. But it was during that research that I came across a guy by the name of Captain May who's passed away. He was like on a cruise trip. This is like 2005, 2006. I don't know if he got around too much, but he did a broadcast and uh, a letter saying, what are all these 11s in here? And I was like, oh, there's so many 11s in here. I was I don't have an occult background or anything like that. But I was like, wow, they, he really is noticing something important. There's an overabundance of 11s, like just in the event and everything. So that just kind of sat in my mind. And then I just was watching the common culture and seeing, wow, there's all kinds of 11s out there in people's clothes and weird things like that. So I was like, what's going on? I think I saw, I was actually in a restaurant and a guy was wearing a shirt called with something on it with a 93. And I said, that's the, that's the plane flight. Why is this 93 important? And so then I started researching 93 and it led me to Aleister Crowley. And then it was like, when, well, who is this guy? And uh, what, why is he important? I knew I'd heard him from like the Ozzy Osbourne song, Mr. Crowley. <laughs> And so I'd heard him bandied about, but there's like, oh, he's a dabbler in the occult and these kind of words, these kind of superficial words. So I tried to find out about as much as I could about him. I read all the biographies. One was Kaczynski, Sutin was a really good one. And then started reading his core materials. And I was like, this is an overlay of this event of 9-11. These are all of Crowley's numerologies in there, 1177, 93, 175. And so then it really made me look deeply into Crowley and that's kind of what resulted in my first book, 2010, was when it was originally published, the first edition, was Prophet of Evil, Alistair Crowley, 9-11 in the New World Order, that most people wouldn't put those things together. But uh, I think that Crowley believed in kind of a New World Order. He wouldn't have talked it that way. He would have called it the Aeon of Horus. But he believed in a, in a brand new system. So uh, based upon magic and, and, and really an elite system, he was a total feudalist. He thought of feudalism as the right the right way, way to rule. And so yeah, I tried to like really try to figure out who Crowley was from my perspective, not as somebody who's a practitioner, but somebody who uh, had a Christian worldview, which is very rare these days. I mean, it basically can put you in like a mental ward these days if you say you're a Christian. But um, so I tried to do it from a Christian perspective and that uh, really tried to, I tried to be, have an unvarnished and focus on people who knew Crowley. So instead of like this, concept of Crowley as some kind of liberator of the human spirit. I was more of like, who is this 
Is he really a Satan worship or worshiper? Which I, there's no question. He just would code his stuff in different terms and things like that. But so uh, readings. And, oh, I'm sorry, William. Go ahead. ahead. I was I just curious. Uh, Tony and I also identify and our Christians believe Christ is the Messiah. So did that have any impact on you when you're reading these texts? I mean, I would, you know, want I mean, to... I think, I think I got through them through faith. Like I have pretty, I've never lost my faith. Like I'm, I wasn't, I'm, these kind of confirm my faith really, because I see right. things in the biblical context of the book of revelation or these incredible events. Like I think Christ said, I think it was the Mount of Olives things like in the future, Matthew, I can't remember 24, where he says, there'll be great deceptions or great things happening in there. So I saw nine 11 as something in that context is this kind of right. great deception. So I, I meant more of the ritualistic aspects. Cause he goes into some of the rituals, right. Probably in his yeah. text. And I don't know how close I want to be to that or have that lodged in my mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. Tony laughed at me. <laughs> he loves the sex rituals. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I didn't know much. I Thanks. didn't know what I was getting into, to be honest with you. I didn't really know because I had a very kind of superficial. I didn't know how dark it went. I didn't know about the blood drinking. I didn't know about the goats. I didn't know about some of the stuff you don't want to know about, like just rampant drug use with this guy and his, his cruelty and the mark of the beast that he branded like all of his Scarlet women with. I didn't know anything about that. So getting into it, it was like, right. People admire this guy. He's like totally. And he would just like his women were like energy things that he would drain drain yeah. from yes very vampiric yeah. yes yeah, totally vampiric. and, and crowley was vampiric. not a man of the people this is an elitist this is a trust fund guy and then you know you find out he has these ties of course he does to intelligence and these uh, the other elitist families he's very popular in those there's a small circle you know it's it's actually a small club and you ain't in it when it comes to uh you know, the upper elites, whatever you want to call them, the, the Illuminati, uh, what, whatever, whatever identifier you want to give them. But Crowley is right there in the center of that. And I would no give question. a warning to anybody, you know, if you want to have your paradigm destroyed, you know, go read William's book on this subject, you know, go read about Aleister Crowley, the new world order in nine 11. And you can't look at the event the same again. It's just, there's so much compelling evidence. And as somebody who, you know, I, I've, I don't know if you know this William, but I was in, I was part of the first army unit on the ground in Afghanistan after 9-11. I was part of the 108th MP Company Airborne, and we were the first army unit that to, to got, to, got to Kandahar uh, in, in response. And I'm putting this in quotations to the, the attacks on 9-11, and I was part of uh, the war in Iraq. And one thing that I'm pretty adept at, and that's understanding Islam, Muslim countries, and I served in Kosovo, too. Um, so I understand Islam somewhat. I'm not a not an expert, but I I've lived in these countries for years, and I know the people and and the history. One thing you don't find in 9/11 is Islamic symbology anywhere. I can't find it. There's nowhere to be found. But when you talk about your research and you overlay it into the event, it is. I I don't think that if you, a rational person. If they're just given this evidence, I mean, you would have to turn your brain off not to see it. You'd have to you'd have to have a blind ignorance. You just have to walk away because there's so much there. And uh, what did you think when you were uncovering this? I mean, it's just like one thing after another. That's just so good. Like you talk about 93. I mean, the 
the buildings themselves, the Twin Towers are an 11 on 9-11, right? And so, you know, and I, I've talked to you before. And They're 111 stories, George too. Bush. Yeah. They're 110 oh, stories. Right. So, so. <laughs> like, this is no right. mistake. These are all blown. Yeah. yeah. And you have, you know, the and I, I even talked to you and I wanted to read this. Um, you know, 11 years prior, you had George H.W. Bush, George, uh, the senior, uh, 11 years to the day on 9-11 uh, going in front of both houses of Congress and, and, and say, you know, saying that uh, we need to have a new world order three times. He invoked it three times, and that was 1990. So exactly 11 years to the day, and almost to the minute, you have his son, George W. Bush, basically saying the same thing after the, the ritual is complete. And I don't know. I, I ask you, and you, you uh, this was on uh, Billy Ray Valentine's show. I'd always wondered. It was the same day of the week. It was Tuesday. So I looked up. Um, first of all, I found in, in, in an essay from Gore Vidal, he had done on 9-11, and he was pretty much into 9-11 truth. Um, but he said that uh, Tuesday he'd researched was a day of darkness in Islam. Um, but if I looked up the meaning of, of Tuesday in the old English, it was a Germanic. Uh, it comes from Twizday, and that was Germanic god of sky and war in North mythology. So I don't know if you knew that. Like it's there's another like all the coded stuff in 9-11, just even being the same this day of the week. Um, of course, one, two for, you know, Tuesday and the, the second day of the week. So one and one. So I, it's, there's so much here. Um, but going to go into the 93 part, like where where does that fit in? And uh, of course, you have Flight 93 in Pennsylvania. Right. So 93 was that. But in Crowley, so he used he used the Kabbalah and a kind of a subset in Kabbalah is something called Gematria, where words are are accrue or add up to a number. So an actual number. And he kind of he adapted. I can't remember the guy uh, was the. Who invented the hypotenuse? Who was one of these old Greek thinkers who said the universe can be defined by new numbers, and I think cruelly adhered to that. So new numbers were. Very so I think it's Pythagoras. Yeah, yeah I, think I was Pythagoras. Say Pythagoras. I think he said that. I think that's a quote from Pythagoras. So cruelly adopted that. So numbers, numerology, and numbers were important to him. And what he did is he, after 1904, when he received what he called the Book of the Law, which is a kind of a aping the book that they use in Masonic temples. He kind of came up with his religion of Thelema, which means will in Greek, right? And also he had this dictum, which is love under law, love under will. And so in Greek, agape and Thelema both add up to 93. So that for him was some kind of like magical correlation. And, and it became kind of a shorthand for his dictum. So instead of writing love under law, love under will, or do what that will should be the whole of the law, he would write in his letters to other people, 93, 93, 93. You can actually see that in my book. So to Crowley, yeah. 93 was a key number. And that's really the numerological tie directly to Crowley. It comes right out of Crowleyism. Uh, 175 does too. Well, 11 is still kind of a prime number in Western esotericism that Crowley kind of adapted. And then 77 has a lot of numerological meanings in kind of Crowley's system for a lot of reasons. And that's yeah, the, the Pentagon is, flight. It's flight Pentagon 77. Flight, Right, Pentagon whatever, was also whatever it was. Yeah, the the ground was broken on September 11th, 1945. Yes, you can look that up. Yeah. So yeah, so uh, 
yeah, so there's all kinds of weird numerological. And, and guess who was across the way from the Pentagon when it got struck? Who was at the Ritz Carlton? Oh, it was George H.W. Bush. Good, very good. With, with, with the Bin Laden family. <laughs> right. Who, who, who like got <laughs> escorted out of the United States. So <clears throat> there's a there's a just strange kind of numerology all in the days. It's just like you pointed out, 11 years separated shows immense pre-planning and also immense power that you could actually say this is going to be our date to kind of implement our new world order is going to be September 11th. Yeah, and if you go back to the the construction of the Twin Towers, you go back to 1968, which was the year uh, that Stanley Kubrick released 2001, A Space Odyssey, right? Exactly 33 years to the date, to September 11th. And so, I mean, it, it's... You know, they have these cycles of 11, you know, these different in that, you know, 22 years in you had uh, George H.W. Bush. And I think just kind of setting the foundation. So it was pre this is a very sophisticated planning. And you have to wonder, like the amount because it is such a ritual. And of course, you go back to 1968. It's the first time 911 went online in the United States. So if you're in an emergency and something horrible is happening, you're dialing 911. That's like, a, and again, that's what they believe magic with a K. Right. right. This kind of right. goes back to yeah. like fear. Magical resonating and, and all that stuff and putting it out into the psychosphere. Yeah, it's all intentional. Do they also spell magic with a K, William, because it's the 11th uh, letter yeah. of the alphabet? Yeah. So K was also very important. So Crowley kind of integrated that and emphasized it. It seems to be a, uh, might have been an old English spelling, but Crowley definitely created magic with a K. Like, that's what he defined it. Mm. Um, but also 1968, if you remember, they faked the moon landing. And so that was Apollo 11, right? So the 11 was the one that supposedly made it. Total mad, total act of magic. And somebody, I think it was Chris Knowles, who said, that's probably the greatest act of magic ever done, is that they convinced 99% <laughs> of the people they went to the moon. And there are correlations and overlaps and similarities between the moon landing and 9-11. So that 11 is there. And also you mentioned Kubrick, Space Odyssey. The monolith is an important symbol to understand. And in, the, in Stanley Kubrick's uh, space, 2001 A Space Odyssey, interesting date, he wrote it with Arthur C. Clarke. Guess how tall the monolith is? It's an 11 oh, feet. It's 11 feet tall. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and so the other thing, too, about Kubrick is you pointed this out, and I thought it was really fascinating, but... Um, I guess Crowley was writing for the international at the time or some magazine. And he was on the cover of one of his articles was, and then Arthur Schnitzer also Schnitzler. had an article. Schnitzler. Thank Schnitzler. you, Schnitzler. And uh, he was the one who wrote the book that uh, Kubrick based eyes wide shut on. Correct. So Traum, Traum novel. It's right. weird, weird correlations too, because the guy who ran the, the, um, international i can't remember his name right now but he was one of the early people to interview hitler there's like an interview between him and hitler so there's like weird correlations between crowley and hitler and all this other kind of weird adolf hitler too is a five and a six right it's an 11 i can't figure that one out but it's just like harry potter like his parents were his parents may have been way weirder than history knows but they he had a brother his half brother was alois a-l-o-i-s so two 11 brothers, it's so strange. Um, but yeah, the international, he wrote for the international and the other one I forgot, but yeah, Arthur Schnitzler. So yeah. And you're talking in a five and a six, that's the number of letters in their name, right? Correct. So Harry Potter, that, there's no doubt Harry Potter is a very sophisticated act of uh, 
integration to to Western occultism. And Harry Potter is a five and a six, right? And just like Tyler Durden, which is also very interesting. We can go into that. But um, Harry Potter, Potter is the alchemy, right? So he's the piece of clay trying to go to gold. And that's how alchemy as a kind of scientific practice morphed into an esoteric practice where the alchemist, real alchemy is the alchemy of themselves, right? Turning themselves from clay to gold. So that's mm. Harry Potter. Yeah, so those allow, I mean, we're talking about the broader Western culture of the 20th century. There's all 11s all the way through there, all through so many important things. And, and no, Cooper you're, you're right. They're really, it's, and it's everything. It's like the, the way that the, the elites communicate. Yes. And, you, you know, you, you can go through all of the, and there's been great journalism. You talked about, and you know, uh, architects and engineers from 9-11 Truth. I, had, I spoke with uh, you know, Richard Gage was at our uh, Free World NYC event. Oh, cool. Uh, a couple of weeks ago. And that's the first time I've ever been to New York City. And there's there's and I talked about it and I gave a talk and I said, you know, there's there's so much physical evidence and then there's metaphysical evidence. You know, you can talk about the actual, you know, the thermite. You can talk about the the the, the things in the third dimension they had to do to bring the buildings down. You can talk about uh, the the hijacking of the military, if you will. I don't know exactly. We don't. No one really knows what happens. But you, there was a high enough level takeover to make make the the system stand down long enough to carry it out. But then you have all the metaphysical. So it's just it's so overwhelming that this event is not what we were told. And I like to go into this. Like that's why I like your work because the elites have their own religion. You know, a lot of people talk about the the dancing Israelis. Uh, that were arrested in New Jersey that day, and they spent 70 uh, later. I mean, Fox News even covered this. They sort of swapped out later. They went back to Israel and said, uh, well, we were just there to document the event. They said that on Israeli television. Right. That they, we were just there it. to document the event. Yeah, you can watch it. And people can say, well, you know, that that was the Israelis and it's Jewish or something. And I'm thinking, but the elites don't follow that. They're not. They're not part of that faith. You're talking about a. This isn't a Jewish religion ritual. This is something completely different. This is another faith, and I think that's you know Kubrick really touched on this and eyes wide shut. Like the mm-hmm. elites have their own, and I say the elites. Billy Ray Valentine hates when I use that term, but it's a, a descriptor of how they see themselves as above it. That you know we're just cattle. We're just stakes on the table. And that they're important and they have some sort of role. Um, this is what they're manifesting. But they have their own religion, do they not? No question. There's absolutely no question. I mean, go look at George Bush's life. Like, he never went to church. There's, there's like He's in church once. I think he's covering himself like a like making the sign of Osiris or something like that. But all his religion was, was um, the tomb in, in New Haven, uh, Bohemian Grove. Um, where else did he go? There was like some place in Colorado they used to go, like all kinds of strange parties. The island up in uh, Ontario we talked about. Like he doesn't, he's not a Christian. He's brought. I mean, we can get into deep into George Bush, but his whole background may be just one huge intel legend. Like it may just be totally fake. Well, he and can't he's remember great, where he was the day Kennedy yeah. was shot. I know that. Yeah, much. George Bush Senior. But George <laughs> Junior Junior is an excellent actor. He is a first-rate actor. Make no he mistake. He really is. He, He's I mean, he really person. is. And you know, you know what I noticed first about George W. Bush. I don't think like this. You ever seen <laughs> yes. him? Like, he's always looking stupid. He's doing it intentionally. Yeah. It's He's an doing inside it intentionally. joke. It's an inside I, I joke. I really, 
I really think that you're I'm you're hitting you, on it's something. It's an inside joke. It's an inside when joke. I was a kid, he ran. So Ann Richards was governor of Texas, okay, and I and yeah. she was a Democrat. And I was in fifth grade, and that's when they had the the election, and George W. Bush came on the scene. You know, he'd owned the Rangers baseball team. If you go back and you look at those debates between Ann Richards and George W. Bush, that's a different guy. I mean, he was he was coherent. Uh, it, 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 everything he was saying was making sense. Like lines of logic were matching up. Somehow he went from that to the decider. You know, like he was. Remember the the term he even made up a word. He was misunderestimated. You know, I mean, <laughs> he would do stuff like that as a joke. Like the Grecians, the Grecians are over there. That's a that's funny to him. It's strategize. Yeah, all yes. that stuff is fake. Even his Texas accent is fake. It's fake. Those are Eastern elites. They've been educated yes. at the best schools. They have the what? best counselors. I have an anecdotal example. Silver spoon. Have you ever seen? There's a real. I'll tell you just to butt in. There's a really good oh, documentary from some French guy who had access to some of George Bush stuff. They show him like a princeling. He's on a horse. He's like riding like a three year old kid on a horse, and there's attendants all around him. Like he's just like a super elite. So all the stuff that you see in public about him is phony as a three dollar bill. Well, I think he's a lot wittier than people give him credit for and a lot nastier. And I have a friend who knows someone quite well who's a photographer and he does a pretty good job at, you know, his occupation. So he was invited to some big event. George W. Bush was there and he was taking his picture and W. said, hey, nice curly Q mustache picture boy. (laughs) 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 And I was like, that's really funny, but you don't know that person. You're making fun of their appearance in front of everyone else at this elitist event. So it seems a little my, nasty. Too. My mom worked at the dentist's office in Richardson where he gets his teeth cleaned now. And this was for years. And I, I got really close to asking my mother, would you please have him sign this copy of My Pet Goat? I just wanted him to <laughs> sign. I just want. And let's talk about that. That's part. I think that really f- that fits in. Though. Was So. In your in your research, you look at where so George W. Bush was in Florida, the state where his governor, his governor brother, right Jeb, was uh, in charge. And so, of all the days, he just happens to be in Florida, and he happens to be uh, where was he? Was it Sarasota? Some school, it's, yeah. He's in a school, and uh, he's reading. Um, and I think the actual title of the book was "The Pet Goat." Now. That's right. I, I brought this up. I brought. I filled in for uh, filled in for uh, David Nidal Infowars a few years ago, and this is one of the last broadcasts I did there. And I and he and George W. Bush had just come out with a new book, and I said, um, you, you know, if you know anything about foreign policy or geopolitics or um, nuclear warfare or the Cold War, supposedly the aide told him, you know, he, they knew that a, a plane had crashed in the World Trade Center. They told him that. Then they came back and they said the words, America is. Then he sat there for seven and a half minutes. So if you know anything about the anything about the continuity of government or retaliatory responses, and I'm a, you know, I'm a student of the Cold War and I serve in the military. I know a thing or two. You have less than five minutes to order a retaliatory response. So if you have no other context that's that America's under attack, then why didn't he get up? And again, you're reading. So let's put these two things. You're reading my pet goat. I know there's a YouTube video that has the the kids saying things. If you if you really listen to it, I don't know if it it, it translates into what the 
people want to hear, like, you know, kite, steel, you know, fall or whatever it is. If you're listening to the kids chant when they're going through that um, during the class. But what's the what's the deal with the goat? I, I don't that I could that have really been. Uh, did they pick that out, William? You know, it's always been a symbol of Satan, right? It's always been a symbol of Satan. So it's an inside joke. The goats, goats and the sheep, that kind of thing. Yeah. And the kids, they made the kids bow down a couple of times. Grab your books, bow down. Grab your thing. Do you see him bow twice? It's incredible. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, those Very are part of the ritualization. Yeah. That's what they do in secret. That's the whole thing. He's probably, that's probably, I mean, I don't, we can go into whether he's genetically a offspring of Crowley through his mom, but uh, I'm pretty sure that they have all, they have a secret library in the tomb. And there's probably all books on the occult. Crowley, it's probably like the tomb is a little mini uh, Hogwarts, right? So the, those guys from the tomb are, are the enforcers of the wasp elite. They've always been that way. And so then they kind of just grew and became their own power. But uh, secret society stuff, crazy stuff they've been involved in. I mean, stuff that's come to surface, right? They took what's Geronimo's skull or something. Yes. They, yeah. Right. The skull and bones. And I want to, you touched on something and I don't want to, I don't want to forget it because I thought of it earlier today, but the, Gore Vidal tells this story about, he had this elitist friend who really didn't ever touch cash. He just had so much, I guess it's like generational wealth. And uh, they were, he met him for dinner one night and somebody had left a dollar bill on the table. And the, this elitist friends of his looked down for a split second, saw the dollar bill and looked back up and said, my goodness, I guess George Bush finally got Barbara on the $1 bill. And because it looks so much, Barbara Bush likes, looks like George oh, right. Washington. But really, wow. and, and I ask you this uh, on Billy's show, but we talked about, you know, there's that conspiracy theory that there is, there, that Crowley would have been the father of Barbara Bush. And it was her mother that was in Paris, what, in the... In the twenties, is that 20s, is correct. that right? What? Yeah, there yeah, was that's a... the rumor. I mean, they can trace her. I think there's a legit tracing between the mother, who was last name was Robinson, and a friend of Crowley's wife. So it's uh, Harris was Crowley's friend, and his wife O'Hara knew her. And at that time, Crowley was doing this ritual he called ECL which stands for Erato Comatose Lucidity. And so it, it was like another ritual. They had to have a lot of servers and stuff like that. And so there, the rumor is, is that she was one of his, that Bush, Barbara Bush's mom was one of his servant, servitors, ended up pregnant and came back with her. And the, the, the physical characteristics are astonishing. Like they're the same. Yeah. Crowley had a big head. He was actually of Irish extraction. So like some kind of, some Irish people have really, you know, everybody has a different shaped head. It's a more blocky square. And Crowley kind of, he would kind of uh, disguise it by wearing things around his neck. So he would kind of keep like his big head and, and kind of skinny shoulders from being obvious. But if you look at her, it's the same thing. You People have done these overlays. I mean, so P, and the timing is actually right. Like I think when she, she met George Bush Sr. when they were 14, it's like an arranged marriage, an elite marriage or something. So it's just really strange, like the correlations and then just leading up to 9-11 with all the Crowley stuff. And the way George Bush Jr. acts is kind of like a Crowleyite princeling, you know, like weird, like they were doing weird Tonga things after 9-11, like they were just parting it up. There are times George Bush is on something 
he's on strange drugs or like um what is it ecstasy or something like there there are yeah, pictures MD of him man. he looks whacked out like literally like just like like smiling like not drinking there's a couple of different times you have first you have george hw bush you have george senior and he was giving a eulogy for gerald ford and when he gets to the part where he says there was a deranged gunman who killed Kennedy, he has an involuntary laugh. If you look at the video, and that's I think it's just it's one of those embedded psychological things. He he smirks and laughs that there was a deranged gunman. And you know, his son, you know, you long when he was talking on um well, it was just after the that when Russia invaded Ukraine, he said when the, when the brutal dictator invaded Iraq, <laughs> you know, he and I, you know sometimes they can't really hide forever. Like if you're speaking in public or if you have a stream of consciousness, you know you still are human. So like I think I think a lot of these things are just they reveal themselves in split seconds, you know, and then 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 revert. And he tried to cover it up with being stupid. Like, I'm over seventy, you know. That's what he said when he was speaking of the in, the brutal invasion, the dictator, the brutal invasion of Iraq. And he goes, I mean, Ukraine. So I mean, like that's not even, the, it's not even remotely the same word, you know, but you, that's in his mind. That's what he was carrying out. So I, I don't know if, you know, I started to think uh, this is off topic, but I started to think that like John Fetterman, like the Senator in Pennsylvania is some kind of like humiliation ritual for everybody. Like the guy, is in, I mean, you can't have a central casting. You couldn't think him up to put him in the Senate. And I, I think this is very similar for what you were talking about with George W. Bush. It's like, is this all been an act? I mean, are you just, are you making us all feel like we're superior somehow, but you really are. I mean, uh, doing these, it's like the painting that, that Jeffrey Epstein had, William, like remember the, the painting with the, with the, uh, the Jenga blocks, you know, and the, in the paper airplanes. Sure. Absolutely. I think they've been fixing the elections for 30 years. So I think they're all fixed and uh, it doesn't bode well for the next year either. Cause I think that yeah, the well, tyranny and the obvious that we're not a democracy anymore is, will right. just be totally removed among th people who are honest and can think for themselves. Well, even Kennedy's was fixed. Didn't they tell Nixon to not complain about it or his political yeah. career would be over? Yeah, it was fixed in Chicago. There were late night votes in Chicago and West Virginia. And I think the West Virginia ones were fixed by the mob. And then the yep. Kennedy brothers turned on the mob and pissed, made them angry. So well, they had Johnson too in te Texas. Right. You know, Johnson had control of the political machinery there, and Texas went for Kennedy. Um, so there was Illinois and Texas, and that's where they flipped the votes. Um, and that that was, you know, I was uh, went to the Kennedy uh, the sixth floor museum with a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago, and I was thinking, you know, this is about the time when America stopped being a a country that's run by the people. I know there was always corruption. There's always behind the scenes, but you know, there was a coup d'etat there and it's like everything they do afterwards, just spiking the football. Like it's like that, like nine 11 was a, again, I, I think it's a ritual. I think it's a communication amongst the elites um, that was pre-planned uh, rec recognizing as coronating them as the rulers of, the planet or whatever it is, there's something there. And, you know, David, I called it the trigger to, to whatever's coming next. I, I think that's, I think that's apt. Uh, I think that's what we're facing. Everything really our present reality. You can't, you can't take nine 11 out of it. 
I mean, 9-11's there, right? Yeah, we went through kind of a doorway, just like in between the two towers, you know? We went through some uh, pathway, just like Boaz and Jochen, right? We right. went from one era to another. There's absolutely no question. And these guys, what's really scary about the Bushes, which they don't really convey, the public may not know as much. They know everything about MK Ultra behavioral control and mind control. So they knew they were traumatizing the living daylights out of people in 2001. Uh, so that was all by intent, is to make it as scary and as panoramic or magnificent as possible. So they really ramped up the fear and really controlled people. Like, I was a true believer. I was like, yeah, let's go get these guys. You know, let's mm -hmm. do it. And then I was like, something's not adding up. You know, just a lot of stuff just didn't add up. But, that sounds uh, a lot like my personal evolution. I was actually, you know, fighting in these wars that were manufactured, you know, and Afghanistan was such a sideshow. Like, they didn't even really care, you know. And uh, I look back on it now and you had these, I was there with high level intelligence people. And we were pulling people off the battlefield. And the first question you'd ask them in Arabic or Pashto was, when's the last time you saw Osama bin Laden? And then when you find out later that the CIA knew exactly where Osama bin Laden was, they'd met with him in, in Dubai in, Ju in July. At the, the station chief from the CIA met with him when he was having kidney treatment at an American hospital. They knew where he was on September 10th. He was in Rawalpindi, Pakistan. These are documented facts. CNN knew. And, what's that? CNN knew. CNN, yeah, CNN knew where he was. Uh, no, it, but it's, it's just more of like this. It's not a monolithic thing. It's like there's there's people that know and there's people that don't. And when you start to look, you just kind of step back and say, well, how, how does all of this work? It really, to me, you, it ties back to what you're talking about, William. It's this, there is a religion, there's a faith, there's a society inside the network. You know, uh, I think Jim Mars wrote a book called uh, Rule by Secrecy. But it's more than that. It's not just secrecy. There's a there's a faith in there, and you know none of it's not Christian. There's something else, and uh, Crowleyism, whatever Crowley was tapping into, and that you know that kind of goes back for centuries and centuries before that. But there's something there, and the elites picked up on that. Um, you know, in your research, when you see Crowley and. T ties to intelligence, which really just means ties to the elite. Can you speak a little bit to that and like what you found? Um, a lot. There's a lot. There's like a really good book called Secret Agent 666 that goes specifically into Crowley as an intel agent. I recommend that. It was I can't remember the author right now. I've actually interviewed him. But there's other things. He left a lot of breadcrumbs in his autobiography, which is uh, Confessions. What was it? I think it was called Confessions, actually. I haven't read it in a while, but he talks about all these people that he knew who were in British intelligence or American intelligence that he was in contact with. And I probably think that he was recruited right out of Cambridge. He was probably an intel agent from the very beginning in 19, what is it, 1895. He did some strange trips. He was always uh, traveling. So he went to Mexico. I think during there, he was in weird places at, at very important times in history. He was in Mexico. Uh, I think one of, near one of their like upheavals. Then he ended up in Russia in 1904. Like that was one of their first revolutions before uh, 1918. That was a huge issue in 1905. So he was there with some like traveling troop of women. Didn't he write to Trotsky about demolishing he, Christianity too? He, like he, he might have. That sounds familiar. It sounds right. Yeah, I think yeah. he did write to Trotsky later though. I think in the 30s. Right. But he was always sending out missives like that. He was like a person who would send out 100 letters a day. And they're scattered all throughout 
the world these letters just from different collections one of the big ones is an, actually an austin ransom in the ransom uh, special collections unit it's worthwhile i've actually gone through that but uh, he uh he was just in all places so then he came to the u.s and his purpose was to and by his own omission to get the u.s in war which is the exact same purpose that the entirety of great britain was trying to get is the u.s into the war he actually came to the u.s on the, yeah lusitania so he actually wants the u.s i think it was wilson said we were going to go to war he wrote at that same time like my work is done and i got out of here so we went back and talked all this stuff about the UK. He actually did this very public thing, which is he went out into Hudson Bay with a rower and said, I'm renouncing my British citizenship and I'm now part of the Irish Republic. And he took his passport and threw it in the water and it made the New York Times. So then you, you can look up New York Times like a famed British author renounces uh, renounces citizenship, but it's all baloney. So he always made his way back to the UK. So he was there, and then he's in France. He's uh, They kick him out of France. They kicked him out of Germany, and they kicked him out of Italy. They kicked him out of Italy. He was actually in Rome, strangely enough, at the time. Very important event, which was Mussolini's march on Rome with the black shirts, right? So it was really the advent of fascism there. I think that was in the 20s. Yeah, he had his abbey there, right, in Italy, right, where they did Correct. It, it was on Sicily called Cefalu. It's on the north part, right. north central part of uh, Sicily. It's still there. People make their kind of occult hajj there and to his place up in Scotland. But um, so his his part, I think it's pretty well established in that he was an agent. And I think uh, in Secret Agent 666, the author found some, something in writing that said from the U.S. that said, Mr. Crowley is in the United States working as an intel agent with the full knowledge of the United States government. Like it was basically clear as day. So. Yeah, so something I want you to touch on, William, if you don't mind, was you mentioned it earlier in the show, but, you know, the end of the age of Osiris or the dying God and the age of Horus. And he was with his wife, Rose, in Cairo, and they saw the Stella revealing in the, at the museum and the exhibit number is 666 of Horus. And right. I, I don't know what I've always been intrigued by this because it almost seemed like looking outside in that he was doing these things independently and setting things in motion himself. But I tend to agree with what you're saying that he was brought into something and, and taught like there was something larger surrounding him. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Some people say his whole magic thing was an act. Like he was just, it was part of his Intel stuff. I think it's the opposite. I think he was really was dedicated to magician and was a rebel rebellious spirit and was a Satanist all the way to the end in 1947. And he was still practicing magic. You can actually see his final kind of compilation of letters in something called Magic Without Tears, where he was writing people about magic, like at the last part of his life in his late 60s. So um, I think it's nonsense. And I think that he always coveted information from whatever, from something else, but not as a Christian appealing to heaven. He was appealing, appealing to, you know, the spirit world or whatever spirit. So you have all of these workings that happen. He's recorded so many workings. Like there's the Alamantra working in 1918 that produced this picture of lamb, right? That's very famous. Right. Looks like yeah. a gray alien. That's there's right. There's the working he did in Algeria, which supposedly created this uh, beast, you know, uh, what was it? I forgot the name of the entity, but he was constantly talking about entities and trying to communicate with things and going on astral travels and things like that. So 
it's hard to think that that's all fake, like just written for posterity, because nobody at that time knew about what he was really doing is when people had his writings because he was a voluminous writer. Like he was right. a, almost kind of an automatic writer. Like he was really I called him a literateur, which is he could cover all kinds of subjects. I mean, that was kind of like the way things were before. If you wanted to be important before films or, you know, video or anything like that, it was trying to be a famous writer. So he was trying to he wrote for journalism, wrote books wrote poetry but i mean i think that that his interest in magic for power and to increase his notoriety is is there's no doubt and there are questions about people whether what happened in 1904 i think it was april 10th 11th 12th 1904 was real or not because he was traveling with rose and he went to india and then on the way back he supposedly has all these events but it's almost like he was thinking about it and writing it down so he could be the apex in the occult world because it really did establish him, establish him at a fairly early age, 28, 29, as a notable occultist. Like, I've received this book. That's really a lot of occultists to this day. Like, if you have a received book, that really increases your uh, credibility or clout. Like, hey, man, I had an entity give me this book. So he had that. He had this experience in the... Uh, Great Pyramid, so that's very dramatic mm -hmm. with Rose, and he supposedly brought astral fire, I don't know. And then, uh, like the Bulak Museum, now it's the Egyptian Museum, but back then it was the Bulak and the Stella 666, which is now kind of a central symbol in Thelema, or Crowley's religion. So you always see that when people are doing the Gnostic Mass. There's a kind of semi-famous picture of Jack Parsons doing the Gnostic yeah. Mass with the Stella yeah. revealing in the background. So yeah. I want to I want to talk about that too because you earlier you mentioned Lamb, you know the entity that he supposedly channeled. Looks this is pre, you know, pop culture UFO gray alien time, and it looks exactly like a gray alien. And then you just mentioned Jack Parsons and uh, the Jack Propulsion Labs, and uh, of course his association with L. Ron Hubbard. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's there's a, there's ties there to Crowley. Of course, Crowley dies. In, in 47 and supposedly Crowley was uh, thought that L. Ron Hubbard and uh, Jack Parsons were idiots or something. They had opened up a portal right. or, or something. And that's it. what, that's what, what are those two was. louts doing or something like that? <laughs> right. And then you have, uh, so you have now you, you fast forward all these years and we have like the Mexican Congress rolls out this, whatever it is, you know, for whatever reason, whenever they have an alien body, they roll out. Now it's only like 14 inches tall for some reason. I don't know where that I've never seen this, but they, they every time they do it and they roll it out, but there's something that they're putting in the consciousness. And so like in a post nine 11, is that the next step was, was, is lamb somehow and, and Crowley's uh, manifestation of that or whatever, his channeling of, of this en entity or whatever is, are the elites using that? in some way, in your opinion, I mean, it's kind of, I mean, this is complete speculation, but we live in a time where, you know, they are certainly using this narrative. Now it's been great. It's, it's gotta be something to it because this kind of connects to Crowley. No doubt. There's absolutely no doubt. And uh, I believe that aliens, demons are aliens. So I think they've just put too. a nice spin on it and all this, all the uh, experiences or experiencers of people who have this, they're very similar to, the old myths of 16th, 17th century of like a demon showing up. They get scared. They can't move. They're freaked out. Right. The alien shows up. They're scared. They can't figure it out. They don't tell them anything. They're, you know, there's a, these aren't like benevolent, loving angels or something are coming to heal you. 
So I think that the whitewash is that these aliens are coming to tell you something and they're actually demons. And if you go through, you want to have a really bad day, go back and look at some of these other guys who are promoting the whole alien uh, narrative. And they're almost half of them are occultists. Peter Lavenda, right. who works for to the stars Academy and writes their books mm -hmm. full of cultists. I mean, he and I have an interesting history. Uh, and also um, he, uh, the other guy's name was, I think it's Wheatley is it? no Whit Whitley Stryber. Whitley Stryber is a dude. That guy's a full on. He's got to be a high initiate in my opinion. Like I've read his books and it's about communion, right? So he uses this Christian term right. to describe this event that are actually demons. So you, you gotta really be aware. These people are very nefarious and sinister. Who are promote some of them? And I went to there was like a thing in the desert or whatever in California. Every year they have like the meeting in the desert. I was like a cultist, yes, sucker, charlatan, a cultist, charlatan. I mean, it was down the line. There was like nobody there who I thought was uh, I would trust. You know, with a glass of water, give me a glass of water. I wouldn't trust any of those people. So the people promoting the alien stuff, uh, very questionable. And it, I think it's part of the psyopia. Yeah, I've always been on the same page with you for a while because the Bible even talks about a great deception. And I've always thought that great deception is making contact with alien life or something like that. But I believe they're just demons. And um, whatever that means, whatever a demon is. Um, what what have they done to like benefit? Nothing. Yeah, why, the, why haven't the aliens done anything to like benefit humanity or just like, here's right. everybody have like, house i'm gonna make all you guys house or do just something but it's always it's, lies and they always they act almost like um demons like john d communicated with demons like they're like okay now you got to cheat on your wife or do something you know wife swapping or some nonsense like that <laughs> like it's not they and when people have the demon people go lord jesus you know come in and they just go Psh. i've heard so right. many stories of people praying for relief of these entities and they just disappear it's like it's like uh holy water on a vampire or something like that so right yeah, it's like I, the I, th I think they, i think they pitch it this way because it garners more interest in the occult which is the whole purpose of it and Good to point. leave it mysterious um but yeah lavenda right lavenda was lavenda was in a documentary that featured alex jones and he's literally in an a polemic religion ritual there's absolutely no doubt about it i can send it to you so what the what not the ritual right no, I can send you a video of him doing the ritual for sure. Yeah. Oh. But, yeah, I mean, he wasn't featured. The interesting thing in that documentary is that Jones was featured named, but Lavenda wasn't featured as a person. But I know his face, so I, I just was like, "What's he doing in there? Give me a break." Was well, he wrote me a he lot wrote about the Necronomicon? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he wrote the Necronomicon too. Well, the, the alien narrative about. has a lot to, uh, in my, it has over overtones of 9/11 because as a soldier, somebody who served in the wars, you know, we were told there was this battle of civilizations. If there's going to be this giant caliphate that we're going to be at war with uh, militant Islam, and they're all, they're, obviously there's militant Islam because there's militant everything else. Right. But where is it? You know, it's kind of like the, you're talking about the alien narrative, and it could be a Project Blue Beam scenario, and then these, you know, we got to have one world government because there's an off world threat I, I don't i'm speculating you go back and look at some things that ronald reagan said or bill clinton said and i just think it's like a it's like a, a cover story it's like a veneer for something much deeper and that's to me that 9-11 again has 9-11 has no overtones of islam like none 
it's zero. And you would think that would be like a stunning achievement because, you know, if you, if you, if you think for five minutes, there's no way they're going to pull that off. You're talking about box cutters, making NORAD stand out. How do you make NORAD stand out? Like, no, I mean, they intercepted planes for decades. I mean, right off then when there was a no pilot, no response, there'd be a jet that was dispatched, you know, right, right away. You're talking about four accurate. It's, it's impossible. It's impossible. So there's a whole thing with, with UFOs and Crowley and lamb. There's something there too. And I think that's the next, if I'm going to predict anything, that is the next, when you're talking to Congress and this oversight and arrow and all the things, and now they've, they've renamed them because there's actually real research that goes back, you know, 80 years. As a matter of fact, I'm in the town recording this in Denison, Texas. If you read Jim Mars's book, alien agenda from 1997, the opening chapter uh, says that the first time the, the term flying saucer was used was in the 1870s. There was a farmer here in Denison, Texas, looked up and saw a flying disc and he called it a flying saucer. Right. So we have we have that that narrative's going on for decades. They rebranded. They call it UAPs now. They're, so, they're doing something. And I think it connects back to this. I mean, just my my researcher spidey senses. Sorry, well, I'm going to rewind it. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you go. Uh, I was just going to rewind a little bit because the one thing about this is I think there's a tendency sometimes because it's so popularized, the occult, um, to not take it too seriously. And even when I was younger and I think Harry Potter was coming out, there's always this tendency with subject material such as that, that it gets darker and darker and darker. And that's what the books did. That's what the movies did. And lots of people brush it aside. Lots of people are Christians. And I have to remind them, you remember when... Moses went to the Pharaoh, he threw down his staff, he became a snake, but Pharaoh also had magicians and they did the same thing. Like th there's some sort of leverage behind this and we're told not to dabble in it. But um, I, I don't know. That was something that I wanted to bring up a little while ago. I mean, do, do you have any thoughts on that, William? Do you think there's any power behind some of these rituals and the research you've done with Crowley? Or I, like I keep asking people who are magical practitioners, and they say yes. So I assume it. I've never practiced it. I mean, the Bible says don't do it, so right. I don't do it. But uh, I think Crowley did it because that's what he thought was going to um, give him power, give him those things. So I think, you know, I think that that was uh, – I think he definitely had that. But going back to the UFO thing, one of the followers of Crowley, who thought of himself as a warlock, he was integrated in 50, uh, 20th century history, is Kenneth Anger. He's all over the place with musicians and the Manson family and stuff like that. But at the end of Lucifer Rising, like they do a ritual. They put a body in water, which I can't figure out. It's like an SFK, Smiley Face Killers thing. They drowned an effigy in water. And then the flying saucers arrive. So like it's almost like an occultist is bringing down these saucers to appear. So that's just like another kind of like correlation between the saucers being demons and not actually being, you know, from another entity, you know, another solar system. They're from another dimension. No, that's, that's right. And then Stephen Greer has got that, uh, what is it? Uh, the close encounters of the fifth kind. He's got some sort of uh, contact protocol where people just go out into the desert and meditate. And these entities show up, which would have, point to something other than extraterrestrial. That's not extra. That we would think craft and you know physical things, but they're talking about manifesting entities. There's a there's a, you want to talk about occultism in the UFO environment? Go look at one of Stephen Greer's movies. He's done a few, but at the very interesting scene, uh, interesting opening to one of those documentaries 
you will see a lightning bolt hit a tree. It's an incredibly powerful Luciferian satanic symbol. And when I saw that, I was like, whoa, this guy's giving it all away. He's got to yeah. be an occultist. Go back. I can't remember which that is, but you'll see that in, uh, I forgot what the producer's name, but that yeah, symbol's very... It was one of his recent ones because he said at the very beginning, right when they turned the cameras off or something, that it, it hit a tree that he was go. at. Yeah, it was very. No, no, he, that's his, that's that's devil. That's a hardcore satanic stuff. Because well, he's doing a good job. Yeah, sorry. It's turning. It's hitting the tree of knowledge, right? So the symbolism is that Lucifer oh. fell from heaven and like hit the tree of knowledge. See, it's for the occultists. It's not the tree of knowledge. The knowledge of good and evil. It's not that full sentence. It's just the tree of knowledge. And what Satan is giving them is the knowledge that God won't, right? So the knowledge to be successful or these, these hidden doctrines or stuff like that. So add Greer to the whole Whitley Stryber, um, Lavenda crew, man. I'm not, I'm telling you, once you recognize their symbols, it gives them away. Another interesting point is you mentioned Gore Vidal earlier in the talk, Tony, and Gore Vidal is one of his best friends was a guy by the name of Tom Dreiber. And a lot of people in the States don't know who he is, but, at one time, kind of in the middle of the century, Tom Dreiberg would be the head of their Labor Party, kind of our Democratic Party. And Tom Dreiberg would hang out with Gore Vidal at his estate. Gore, uh, there's, there's, there's a letter that Crowley sent to Dreiberg that making him his heir. He was trying to make Dreiberg's heir, and Dreiberg said no. But Dreiberg, yeah, the sex magic that guy did was like people were like freaked out. Like he was out of his, he was. Uh, Really oh, that's stuff. interesting you made the connection. I just, I always thought Vidal was interesting. You know, I think he died in 2012. He's been, he was uh, known as like the gay Pat Buchanan. He's yeah. very much, you know, against empire, against war. He had some really interesting ideas. Uh, fantastic writer. Yes. Um, obviously his politics, like he was way, he called the transgender movement like in the late 60s. What was it the book he wrote, Myra Breckenridge? And then you get to like three quarters of the book and you realize this woman's a man. <laughs> like oh, the whole thing is like the, the woman, no man will ever possess because she is a man. And um, it's, there's, there, he was a, he was cutting edge of a, of a lot of different things. And of course his debate with William F. Buckley, when he just destroyed William F. Buckley. I mean, this is, you know, that's when he made William F. Buckley lose his temper. And, yeah. I think he called him a Nazi or something like that. Right? Yeah. He's like, I'll sock you in your, your GD face. You yeah. know, that's what he told uh, William or William F. He Buckley told the doll. He should have um, told he should have told Buckley that uh, you know it's not a good thing to go into the tomb and uh, take an initiatory because uh, <laughs> right. he was uh, a bonesman. Well, that and, and 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 the you know he was uh, what was the National Review magazine William F. Buckley like the they Mister Conservative or whatever that he wanted to be labeled he was a CIA asset along with Gloria Steinem and others of the you know the same ilk in the same time so both left right. And that's a good documentary, by the way, The Best of Enemies. Um, oh, interesting. About this too. Check that out. Yeah, that's with Vidal and, and William F. Buckley. Well, uh, I love this conversation. Uh, I, I, we were trying to put this interview together last week, and, and there was a mix-up. And then I didn't have – I would have had Chris, and now I don't have Chris. But it was a great talk, and I, I want to save uh, some for next time. And I want to have you back on because this was, this was an easy, easy hour. And uh, so appreciate your, your insight, William. And – uh, I want to give you a chance to, I know you have a new book and I want you to be able to plug that because we're going to put this up on my radio show and all the channels and want people to. Yeah. My new book just came out. It's just based on the, my research into the smiley face killers. And uh, 
It's getting good reviews so far, put a lot of work into it. And I think it really just proves that this phenomenon really is happening. I don't think there's any doubt about it. And I list close to 300 cases. The full title is The Smiley Face Killers Investigating Suspicious Water Deaths of College-Age Men in the U.S. and the World. And uh, you can buy one from my website, WilliamRamseyInvestigates.com, or you can just go to Amazon and get it. And uh, I think it's important for people to understand that this phenomenon is happening. It's happening in Austin, Chicago. Really, it's still happening all over the world, but Austin really had a hot like run uh, in the last two years. And same with Chicago. So you have to be careful when you're out at night. Don't accept any rides. Check to see if your Uber driver is actually your Uber driver. And uh, be careful out there. You really, I mean, men are, the thing is, is that men are at risk. They don't think they are at 2 a.m., but they really are. Especially if there's a concerted kind of team group of people doing evil stuff. Was that an incident in the book, an Uber driver? There's been stories about guys getting into Uber cars and disappearing, you know. Like, oh, we got into an Uber. Or somebody coming up and saying, hey, you want to ride? I'm an Uber driver. You know, instead of not going through the app, right? So that that was a late night thing happening in Chicago just recently. And there's been actually have you problems on back on to talk about that. We need, we need to yeah, do sure. a separate episode on on your new book as I've heard about the uh, the smiley face killers for years, and um, somebody actually put everything together and talked about new incidents. I, I definitely want to hear about that. There's a lot. There's a lot of new cases. I just keep finding one. They actually a kid came out of TD Garden in Boston, and somebody put him in, hit him in the back of the head, and he was face down in the water for ten minutes. And then he was rescued by other people who just saw him floating in the water. And uh, they let the guy who hit him get it or potentially hit him. They don't even know who he is. But there was a guy with his body pulling him out of the water and he took off. They never they never tracked him down or anything. He could have been the total kind of thread that led to the unraveling of this whole phenomenon. So because people are I think people are communicating um, using, you know, pretty good privacy or something like that talking about these kind of cases in the dark web or something fascinating well definitely yeah. we'll need to get into that thank you so much for being here i love this talk it's one of my favorite episodes so far of, of so my much. uh of my recorded shows paratruther and uh so appreciate you being here william my pleasure thank you for having me great to be with you and folks uh you can go to our sponsor is wise wolf gold and silver which is my company and uh, we have the wolf pack program for memberships i've got a deal where i'm giving away free constitutional silver for a sign up if you sign up and you can start it people think they can't afford gold or silver yes you can you go to wolfpack.gold you can start at 50 dollars a month and uh, we get silver in there a lot of gold backs and other things we get fractional coins and uh, you can just really add to your collection and we give you a 50 dollars worth show you a detailed invoice and we're giving away free constitutional silver and it helps shows like this and we sponsor many programs all over the alternative media so go to wolfpack.gold my website is arterburn.news. You can catch all the podcasts there. Mr. Anderson does not want you to find him, so you don't have to worry about that. But he'll be back on the podcast, and um, appreciate you being here too, Mr. Anderson. Always uh, good to good to have you. Good to see you. Appreciate your insight, sir. Thanks for having me, and thank you again, William. This has been a pleasure. Thank you. Great to be with you. Thank you. All right, folks. We'll be back next time. Be sure and follow the show, share the links, and tell people about us. And in the information war. Be a paratruther. See you next time.